Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I begin, I want to mention that I'm hosting a Zoom History Conference on June 29th at 2.30pm Mountain Standard Time. I'm going to be talking about the Bar Colony Expedition, a really interesting story that would lead to the founding of Lloydminster, Alberta. You can take part in this conference, it's $10 to register, and you can register by contacting me at craig at canadaehx.com or by visiting my website and clicking register at canadaehx.com. Also, if you want to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. When we think of slavery in the New World, it is often focused on the slavery seen in American history. But Canada has its own slavery history, which lasted for over two centuries, ending only a few decades prior to the end of slavery in the United States. This episode is not about the abolition movement, so there will only be a brief mention of that as I focus mostly on Canada's slavery history, not how that history ended. While slavery did exist to some extent in Canada with the Indigenous prior to the arrival of Europeans, I am looking at the history of slavery in Canada beginning with the establishment of New France. Slavery involving European powers in North America began with the arrival of Europeans. It is believed that some of the Beothuk people of Newfoundland were taken as captives to Portugal around 1500, while Jacques Cartier abducted indigenous people and took them to France, including the sons of Chief Donnacona, in 1534-35. Cartier would bring the two sons back the next year, and then abducted Donnacona, the two sons, and seven others. They would never return to Canada. Beginning in 1608 with the establishment of Quebec, New France would be a force in North America for the next 150 years. During that time, the colony governor and residents would trade in slaves, including indigenous people. At one point, indigenous slaves would outnumber black slaves two to one. The use of black slaves would not begin in earnest until later in the 17th century. But at the start, slave ownership in New France was not legally recognized, but justified that the act of enslaving people was unethical, but buying and receiving slaves was acceptable. This meant that the acquiring of indigenous slaves in France was done through diplomatic negotiations and the practice of gift-giving. As a result, this changed the enslavement practice of indigenous people, with captives being taken during warfare in an increasing manner, becoming an economically viable good to exchange with the French. 
alliances between indigenous groups would funnel slave captives towards the French, allowing the French to work within their muddy rules regarding slavery. Having indigenous slaves didn't always work well for the French, especially when it came to treaty negotiations. When Jacques Denonville, the governor of New France from 1685 to 1689, sent 40 captured Iroquois to France as galley slaves, this would later prove to be a major problem in peace negotiations during the Beaver Wars between France and the Iroquois. In a similar manner, Sioux chiefs in 1742 had issues with the French having Sioux slaves. Typically, New France indigenous slaves were young, with an average age of 14 to 17, while black slaves had an average age of 25. The first recorded black slave arrived in Canada in 1628, transported by a British convoy to New France. Originally from Madagascar, the boy was named by his captors as Olivier Lejeune. This was a rare case of a slave coming to the colony at the time prior to the Black Code, also known as Code Noir, or the Royal Edict of 1685. Olivier would live until May 10, 1654, and he would serve in the same household for 26 years. One year later, the next enslaved African in New France to be mentioned was La Liberté, who appears in the 1686 census records. The edict I had mentioned consisted of 60 articles that gave some protection to slaves, or at least was meant to. Under the edict, slaves could not make contracts, own land, testify, or be sentenced publicly and since they were not considered an individual, they could not be charged criminally like citizens. If a slave was harmed or damaged, the owner was responsible for damages caused, and if the owner did not pay damages, the slave was removed from his possession. While that may seem progressive, the edict also allowed an owner to whip or chain his slave, but he could not mutilate, kill, or torture a slave. The code saw slaves as merely pieces of furniture, but the owner was recruited to care for the slave if they were sick or injured and had to feed and clothe them, while also providing for crippled or aging slaves. Any marriage between a free man and a slave woman was not legally recognized and any child born was considered a slave child. Also in the code was this, found in Article 32. The runaway slave who shall continue to be so for one month from the day of his being denounced to the officers of justice, shall have his ears cut off, and shall be branded on the shoulder. On the third offense, he shall suffer death. The reason that King Louis XIV granted the petition from New France to import black slaves from West Africa was because there were 11,562 people living in the colony, and most were fur traders, missionaries, and farmers. With a lack of servants and laborers, the population wanted to import the individuals to do that work. At the time, slavery was prohibited in France, but permitted in the colonies because of the desire to have a large labor force to clear land and more. One terrible tale of how black slaves were treated in New France comes from the story of Marie-Joseph Angelique. She was the black slave of a rich widow in Montreal, and after learning that she was to be sold and separated from the man she loved, she set fire to her owner's house and escaped. Unfortunately, the fire got out of control and destroyed 46 buildings. Two months later, she was captured and paraded through the city and then tortured until she confessed to the crime. On the day of her execution, she was taken through the streets of Montreal 
and then made to climb a scaffold built facing the ruins of the buildings destroyed by fire. She was then hanged, and her body flung into the fire so her ashes were scattered in the wind. Between 1600 and 1750, 3.8 million slaves were transported from Western Africa to the Americas. Of those, 1,400 came to New France, and African slaves were always outnumbered by the enslaved indigenous population. Between 1689 and 1713, 140 indigenous slaves and 13 African slaves were brought to New France. For the indigenous slaves at this time, as I said, the average age was 14 to 17, and 57% were girls or young women. By 1759, there were 4,000 slaves, and 1,200 were African in origin. In 1709, Intendant Jacques Rodeau passed the ordinance rendered on the subject of the Negroes and the Indians called Penny. This legalized the purchase and possession of slaves in New France and further solidified the practice of slavery. It was the first official legislation on slavery in New France. In 1724, modifications were made to the Black Code. Under these modifications, slaves were to be instructed, baptized, and ministered to as Christians. Families were to be recognized and free slaves received the rights of common citizens. Now this may seem great, but most colonists ignored the document and the code and it was rare for a slave to become free. Now while the slaves under the French could be treated better than those under the British or the Dutch, in the end, the treatment of the slave was determined by the owner and their attitude towards the slave. Many enslaved black people were tortured and jailed as punishments. Others were murdered or hung for their crimes they didn't commit. And many women who were slaves were sexually abused by their owners, and families were separated when some family members were sold to new owners. An example of this is seen in the story of a black slave from Bath, Upper Canada, who was tied to a tree and whipped. In Newfoundland, the community of St. John's hired a public executioner to whip a black slave before a group of townspeople who came out to watch. In 1779, two black women were accused of theft, and each received 25 lashes at a public whipping pole in Halifax. In 1791, a Cape Breton black slave was killed by a white man for trying to walk into an all-white public hall, and the murderer was, and this is the term they used, honorably acquitted. The only punishment the murderer received was being excluded from the local Masonic Lodge. The treatment of slaves as nothing more than furniture can be seen in advertisements at the time, including this one. To be sold at public auction on Monday the 3rd of November at the house of Mr. John Ryder. Two slaves, a boy and a girl, about 11 years old. Likewise, a punch-in of choice cherry brandy and sundry of other articles. Another example of the treatment can be seen in the story of Marie Joachim. Marie was an enslaved indigenous who belonged to a wealthy merchant in Montreal. She had been brought to Montreal as a slave at the age of only 10, and in 1725, at the age of 22, she would be accused of stealing trade goods from her master's warehouse with the intention of giving them to her French lover. She was sentenced to have her hands cut off, but instead she was sold to a new person in Quebec City, where she would die only a few years later. Marie Marguet was an enslaved Plains indigenous person who belonged to a naval officer in Quebec City. In 1740, when she was in her late 20s, 
She sued her owner for her freedom, and the trial ignited a debate there about the legality of her enslavement. She would lose the trial and be sent to work on a Caribbean sugar plantation as punishment. After the British conquest of New France in 1760, slave ownership was primarily done by the French population. The topic of slaves was a big enough deal that it was actually included in the treaty that helped end the war, that was signed on September 8, 1760 at the Surrender of Montreal, and it would state, The Negroes and Pini of both sexes shall remain, in their quality of slaves, in the possession of the French and Canadians to whom they belong. They shall be at liberty to keep them in their service in the colony, or to sell them, and they may also continue to bring them up in the Roman religion. A total of 1,509 slave owners were identified around this time, and 181 were English. General James Murray, the British governor of Quebec, would request the use of enslaved people for labor in 1763, stating, Had I the inclination to employ soldiers, which is not the case, they would disappoint me, and Canadians will work for nobody but themselves. Black slaves are certainly the only people to be depended upon. In the 1767 census of Nova Scotia, there were 104 slaves listed, but this would change during the huge influx of United Empire Loyalists in 1783 after the American Revolution. With them came 2,000 black slaves, of whom 1,200 went to the Maritimes, 300 to Lower Canada, and 500 to Upper Canada. Due to this influx, legislation was passed in 1790 that protected immigrants so that the slaves they brought in would remain their property. The Imperial Statute of 1790 would state that the United Empire Loyalists could bring in Negroes, household furniture, utensils of husbandry, or clothing, duty-free. There was a difference between how slaves were treated in Canada and the United States. In Canada, slaves were permitted to learn to read or write, something that was not done in the United States. In addition, at this point, marriages were recognized by law. Nonetheless, it was still slavery, and still terrible. No matter what limited freedom slaves received, it was still the buying and selling of people, as was seen in this ad in the July 12th, 1787 issue of the Quebec Gazette. For sale, a robust negress, active and with good hearing, about 18 years old, who has had smallpox, has been accustomed to household duties, understands kitchen, knows how to wash, iron, sew, and very used to caring for children. She can adapt itself equally to an English, French, or German family. She speaks all three languages. Notice the use of itself rather than herself showing that in the end, she was still seen as property. Slave owners in Canada came in many varieties, with some owning a few slaves and others owning many. Father Louis Payette owned five slaves, one indigenous and four black, while James McGill, the man who founded McGill University, owned six black slaves. The deputy of the Indian Department, Matthew Elliott, owned 60 black slaves, while Sir John Johnson owned 14 black slaves. The owner of the Mallard House Inn, Thomas Mallard, where the first Parliament of New Brunswick was held in 1786, owned several slaves. Peter Russell, the first receiver and Auditor General of Upper Canada, had a free black man named Pompadour working for him. Pompadour was a free man, but his wife and their three children were owned by Russell. A huge number of politicians in Upper Canada, Lower Canada, Nova Scotia, and other legislative houses owned slaves. 
I'm going to list some of them here. John McDonald, Ephraim Jones, Hazelton Spencer, David William Smith, and Francois Baby, all members of the First Parliament of Upper Canada's Legislative Assembly from 1792 to 1796, owned slaves. Six of the nine original members of the Upper House of the Legislative Council of Upper Canada owned slaves. They were Peter Russell, James Baby, Alexander Grant Sr., Richard Duncan, Richard Cartwright, and Robert Hamilton. A total of 14 of the 17 members of the Second Parliament of the Upper Canada Legislative Assembly also had slaves or came from slaveholding families. They were David William Smith, Thomas Fraser, Richard Beasley, Richard North Wilkinson, Thomas McKee, Dr. Solomon Jones, Timothy Thompson, Robert Isaac Day Gray, Samuel Street, Thomas Butler, William Fairfield, Edward Jessup Jr., and Christopher Robinson. Members of the Nova Scotia Legislative Assembly were slave owners as well, including James DeLancey, Major Thomas Barclay, James Moody, and John Taylor. I'd like to go back to another advertisement I found, this one in 1752 in the Halifax Gazette. Just imported and to be sold by Joshua Majeur at Major Lockman's store in Halifax, several Negro slaves as follows. A woman, aged 35, two boys, aged 12 and 13, two of 18, and a man aged 30. Now as Canadians, we often take a sense of pride in the fact that the Underground Railroad brought slaves to Canada to be free. But ironically, many enslaved black people would flee from Upper Canada to go to the free regions of the United States, including New York and Vermont, which banned slavery in 1799 and 1777. Escaped slaves were often reported in newspapers, like this notice. Ran away from her master, John Rock, on Monday, the 18th of August last, a Negro girl named Thursday, about four and a half feet high, broad set, with a lump over her right eye, had on when she went away, a red cloth petticoat, a red bed gown, and a red ribbon around her head. Whoever may harbor such Negro girl, or encourage her to stay away from her said master, may depend upon being prosecuted as the law directs, and whoever may be so kind as to take her up and send her home to her said master shall be paid all costs and charges with $2 reward for their trouble. Now in 1793, the Act Against Slavery was passed in Upper Canada, which banned the importation of slaves and mandated that children born to female slaves were to be freed when they reached the age of 25. Now this may seem like a big step forward and an example of how progressive Canada was, but that's not the case. The law comes from the story of Chloe Cooley, who was a female slave who was violently removed from Canada for sale in the United States when her owner forced her into a boat on the Niagara River. This would help inspire John Simcoe, the Lieutenant Governor of Upper Canada, to push for the abolition of slavery. Now this was resisted by members of the Legislative Assembly who, as I mentioned, were slave owners. So the act which banned the importation of slaves was made as a compromise. The act specifically said that all slaves in the province would remain enslaved until death, but no new slaves could come in. Here's some advertisements in Upper Canada newspapers from that very same year. Ran away from subscriber on Wednesday the 25th of June last, a Negro manservant named John. Whoever will take up the said Negro man and return to his master shall receive the above reward and all necessary charges. Another from August 17th ran away from the subscriber a few weeks ago, 
a negro wench named Sue. This is therefore to forewarn all manners of persons from harboring said wench under penalties of the law. And even after the end of slavery in Canada, racism abounded towards blacks, indigenous, and many European immigrants, as I have stated and related in episodes on the Alberta Eugenics Board, the KKK in Saskatchewan, and the story of Africville, all episodes I encourage you to check out. Going forward, in 1846, Sir Richard Henry Bonnycastle would say that Canadian blacks were idle, impudent, uneducated people who could not bear a little freedom. In 1859, Victoria's newspaper, The Colonist, would claim that the black people enjoyed heat because, and this is the quote, they had hide thicker than a hippopotamus. Lastly, that same newspaper in 1860 said, Negroes are aliens of the lowest type of humanity. We can feel as though we have come a long way, but racism still exists in Canada. Other races are often treated differently and deal with outright racism today. We as Canadians like to think that slavery was not a part of our history, but it very much was our history, whether we accept it or not. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X. If you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com, and you can visit my website and find hundreds of articles on Canada's history at canadaehx.com. You can also support the podcast at Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Information comes from the Canadian Encyclopedia, humanrights.ca, Wikipedia, Toronto's People, and Blacks in Deep Snow. Thanks, we'll see you again next time.